Hello, people of the way. We're going to continue our study through the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans 3. If you recall where we left off, I'm just going to read a couple of verses from the last chapter. What happens here is it's pretty hardcore what Paul is saying here, what he's establishing inside the church, both Jew and Gentile. He says this in verse 28 of chapter 2. He says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. That's where we ended last week. And it's so beautiful to consider the ramifications, the implications for you and for me of both Jew and Gentile. Now, I have to say that there's a lot of people who believe in replacement theology. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There is no such thing as replacement theology. People like to think there is, and there are very famous teachers who purport such things, but it's a lie from the pit of hell. Remember, the, the, the uh, uh, focus came to Gentiles to provoke the Jews to uh, uh, jealousy. It's not, uh, the Lord's not done with Israel and the Jews. No, more prophecies have to be fulfilled. More prophecies. You know, I could say much more, but, you know, in, in these days that we live in, it's like, wow, it's, are we at the very cusp of the beginning of the 70th week? It's very important to understand these spiritual truths because you know what happens? You're going to come across people who say such things. Oh, God is done with Israel. God is done with the Jews. And because you know the Bible, you could say, no, that's not what the Bible says. And you can win them back to Christ. You know, it's one thing to, you know, some people like to debate to win an argument. You know, you have to be careful with that uh, mindset. You have to be careful with that heart because that's the way of pride. It's not to win an argument. It's to say, wait a second, you know, you believe this, but the Bible says otherwise. So rather than me go to you, you come to me and we're both standing on the rock of salvation. And so put yourself in like, you know, this is so radical what Paul is saying. Wow, like, say we're both Jew and Gentile, we're in this little fellowship in Rome, you know, you're Jew, I'm Gentile, or I'm Gentile, you're Jew, whatever, and we're, you know, doing, conducting ourselves accordingly, and then all of a sudden we get this letter from Paul, he says, wait a second, he's not a Jew who is one outwardly, and then he says, he is a Jew who is one inwardly, it's like, what? So what does that mean? And then we kick off chapter 3, verse 1, what advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, exclamation point, exclamation point. I love this so much because we're going to see these a lot. You're going to see question mark. You're going to see exclamation point. And, you know, naturally, it's, you know, it is grammar. You know, you see that all throughout the Bible. But I love how there's emphasis here when Paul makes these points. Because the, the carnal man, the, the, the natural man, the natural woman, I say, wait a second, does that mean that there's no advantage for the Jew? Or there's no profit in circumcision. But then Paul says, much in every way. I love these exclamation points when Paul makes these assertions. When Paul makes these, uh, 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 these things known and he expounds upon them. You know why? Because Satan is very slick. Very slick. Think of like a very cheesy salesman. 
You know, you go to, you know, you say you like, you, you park your car in a car lot, you know, and you're like, okay, I'm just here to look. I'm not just here to look. I'm not going to buy anything. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm just going to, you know, if the door's unlocked, I'll open the door, look at, you know, look at the fabric, look at the leather, look at whatever, you know, the new tech. I'm only here to look. And then you're, you know, you're looking and then all of a sudden you hear like, you know, you know, uh, the slick guy, you know, hey, how you doing, you know, and they have this, like, this, it's like, oh, you know, you don't want to say anything, and then, like, an hour later, you're driving away in a new car, and it's like, oh, man, I didn't want to do this, and that's how Satan is, that's how Satan is, he's very slick, very cunning, he knows how to make people fall, he's been doing it for the centuries, for the millennia, he's been doing it from the very beginning, and so imagine, like, a young Jew there, or a Gentile, who thinks that he has to be circumcised or like a, a, a mom Gentile who thinks, wow, you know, I want my kids to be Christians. I want them to uh, abide in Christ. So, you know, I hear that they have to be circumcised. Okay, let's get you guys circumcised. It's like, wait a second. Think of all the questions that the enemy could put, you know, question in their minds. Oh, does that mean that the Jews are nothing? No way. Paul doesn't say that at all. What advantage? What advantage then has the Jew or what profit is what pro- what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, exclamation point. I love the exclamation points because it's like saying, hey, Satan, get out of here. Get out of here. Much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Don't forget, we have the full counsel of the word of God, Genesis to Revelation. 100% of it written by Jews. Don't forget that. I don't get how a lot of people stand at the pulpit. Very famous. I can name names. A lot of famous people, they stand at the pulpit and they say, oh yeah, God is done with the Jews. God is done with the Jews. And they're reading from script that is written 100% by Jews. To them were committed the oracles of God. Verse 3. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Very interesting. These are some very hardcore questions. Does God's faithfulness hinge on anyone? The answer is no. Does God's faithfulness hinge on anything? Again, the answer is no. This is a very hardcore point to make for parents. A lot of parents, you know... To a certain degree, you know, you have a, 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 this holy task, a righteous task in raising up kids. And a lot of parents get stuck on lording over their kids. You know, I get when they're like tiny, but then as they grow, it's like you have to let go more and more. That, to me, that's got to be the hardest, the hardest part of parenting is to, you know, letting go. Whoa, you know, like. You know, every moment you let go. And ultimately, one day, you're just going to have to let go completely. One day. But, you know, when your faith in Jesus Christ, when it is, uh, uh, or, or when, say, like, uh, uh, because of your faith, you lord over another person, you lord over a child or uh, a pastor who lords over the flock of God. What does that say of choice? What does that say of compulsion? You know, when, you know, the Lord says in the Old Testament, you know, of their free will, they make these offerings uh, in the law of their free will. 
Because the Lord doesn't make robots. New covenant. Free will. And a lot of kids, you know, they grow up and it's like, okay, you know, I'm going to church because mom and dad say get in the car. So I go to church, I do this. And, you know, they're respecting their parents. There's that good aspect of it. But at some point, you have to be very careful because what happens the kid turns 18, 19, 20, whatever. If you're liberal, they leave home at age 40. And then they leave home and then they you know, all of a sudden they forget. The Lord becomes forgotten. Because they believed in your Jesus. Jesus never became their own personal Lord and Savior. It's very interesting because, you know, what Paul is calling into question here is the faithfulness of God. Not calling into question His faithfulness, but to prove a point. For what if some did not believe, he says, speaking of the Jews, will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? We have this example in Egypt. Do you remember when we studied in Exodus? How you you look in Genesis and the Lord is honored through Jacob, through Joseph, and then Joseph becoming second in command in Egypt, a, a type of Christ at the right hand of the Lord. And Joseph was at the right hand of Pharaoh. And he's given all authority is given to him. And it just blows me away so much. You get to the end of Genesis and then you open up in Exodus chapter 1 and what happens? The Lord becomes forgotten. The Egyptians, they honored the Lord. They were like, wow, you know, there's famine. What do we do? And then Joseph, Joseph Joseph makes a way how to survive the famine. And the Lord blessed Egypt through Joseph. And then you get into Exodus, and what happens? The Lord becomes forgotten in both Jew and Gentile. Israel forgot. Egypt forgot. And then the new Pharaoh, and then all of a sudden the new Pharaoh says, Wow, you know, these Jews live among us, and they might war against us. So now let's make them our slaves. And a long period of time passed in slavery and captivity. That's what happens when the Lord became forgotten. But then the Lord made himself known. You know, does belief, does God's faithfulness have anything to do with, with any person? No. With any other thing? No. The Lord makes himself known in a very big way in Egypt, a huge way. But in a very small way, He makes himself known to people, to you and to me. I mean, he did to me, he did to you, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while. But if you're a non-believer, or maybe you've gone off track a little bit, you're on the wrong track, he makes himself known. You know, I have to tell you a little testimony. When I first believed in Jesus Christ, I got mad at Christians. I was very, very mad at Christians because I knew some growing up as a kid. And, you know, I don't think I paid attention in elementary school. Now that I think about it, I did know some Christians in elementary school, junior high, high school. And, you know, when I became a Christian, I was mad at Christians because nobody told me. 
Nobody told me. You know, I was I had a very bad situation that I was in. And I talked to this kid who was a believer. And I said, man, you know, I just, uh, something's not right. And, you know, he never gave me the gospel. But what he did do is he gave me his Bible. He gave me his Bible. And he says, here, read this. I said, where, where do I start? Where do I begin? I knew nothing about the Bible. I, I knew a lot about Catholicism. No, not even a lot. Just, you know, what I was told to do. As a former Catholic, what the Lord rescued me out of. And the kid says, here, read Matthew. He didn't even tell me about Jesus Christ. He never gave me the gospel. He never gave me the good news. I mean, you know, I'm thankful what happened. But I found out of Jesus Christ. I found out about Jesus Christ from Jesus Christ, from the book of Matthew. I started reading. I was drunk out of my mind. Drunk out of my mind. And I finished it all night. I read it. I couldn't stop. I couldn't put it down. Because he blew me away. And the Lord gave me his gospel. The Lord gave me his good news. And that's when I fell in love with him. He made himself known. And he does it with everybody. He does it. The question is like, is your heart in a situation where you realize wrong? And that's what we're going to talk about hardcore today. What is the condition of your heart? And so Paul asked a question, several questions. What if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not! Exclamation point. Indeed, let God be true, and let God be true, but every man a liar. Now, I don't want to lord over your faith. <laughs> I know I said what I said, but I don't want to lord over your faith. But in this little area, I'm going to lord over your faith. Take a highlighter. Or a pen, whatever you use to highlight verses. I use a highlighter. I recommend the highlighter. I have different colors too. But in verse 4, highlight that. Let God be true, but every man a liar. Highlight that. If you're willing. Because I have to tell you something about your own personal conviction in Jesus Christ. It goes a long way. It goes a long way. You're abiding in Christ and then all of a sudden people have their own, you know, theories about whatever and you just read the Bible and you're like, no, I'm sorry. You know what? I, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to go grave soaking. I know you go to this big church. I know you have they, they have a big worship band. They're well known around the world, but I'm sorry. You want to go grave soaking? That's where I draw. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going there. That's demonic. Necromancy. It's forbidden in the eyes of the Lord. I'm not playing that game. Oh, you're so mean-spirited. No, no. I just read my Bible. That's it. I'm not going to go grave soaking. So you have your own personal convictions. Remember the blind guy? There was a blind guy that was healed by the Lord. And he got in trouble by the Pharisees. And, you know, the Pharisees were like, you know, you were blind because you were sin. How you were in sin. How is it that you see now? And then the, they called the parents to the council. And the parents were, you know... It, 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 Back then, the, 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 the religious class, the religious leaders, they had very, very heavy say in things. I mean, a family would go to synagogue, a family would go to temple, but then if they were kicked out of synagogue, if they were kicked out of temple, that's a big deal. That means a family who has sin in their home, the father figure, the patriarch of the family, can't bring his animal Whatever it is, if it's a turtle dove, if it's a sheep, a lamb, if it's an ox, he can't bring. If he's banished from temple, he can't do that. 
which means sin is over him, in accordance with the law. Hearken to our studies in Leviticus. And so for the religious leaders to ban somebody from temple, it's a big deal. Now you see, based on what we know, you see these religious leaders, the religious establishment, so to speak, they were the ones in the wrong. But this blind guy who was healed of the Lord, they were like a hardcore indictment on him. You know, you have sin, you have sin. You know, and then all of a sudden, look, the blind guy, he didn't, you know, he wasn't like highly educated. But he knew the Lord and he was healed by the Lord. He wasn't, he wasn't going to like, you know, this hardcore battle with these so-called learned people. He just says, look, all I know is that I was blind, but now I see his own personal testimony. In that room, his mom and dad were there. The religious leaders were there. A heavy indictment upon him. And then he stood alone. All I know is that I was blind, but now I see. He stood alone. And you know, when you highlight this verse as let God be true, but every man a liar, in a lot of cases, you'll stand alone. I tell you the truth, you will stand alone. And praise be to the Lord. You know what happens? The Lord uses that. He uses that. Make your stand. And when you make your stand, you can't be in crazy town. You have to be in sound doctrine. When I say, you know, you'll stand alone, you know, it's not like you'll stand alone and go grave soaking. No, you're going to stand alone and you're going to abide in Christ. There's a lot of crazy doctrines out there. But you stand firm in the truth of God's holy word. And so look what happens here. He says this, As it is written, that you may be justified in your words, that you may be innocent innocent in your words and may overcome and may be victorious is how that translates when you are judged not if you are judged when you are judged notice how this wording is that you may be innocent in your words you you know justified or innocent that you may be innocent in your words and may be victorious when you are judged when you are judged it's crino crino when you are judged crino That's what's going to happen to you when you stand for Jesus Christ. Unwavering, unbending. You strive to kill carnality. You strive to kill hypocrisy. Not for the sake of religion, but for the sake of your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and Him alone. And your adoration and praise because you want your life to be, you want to be a vessel of honor. And praise unto our Lord and nobody else. No man, no woman, Jesus Christ and Him alone. Your husband, capital H. And if you're a man, oh, I don't, I don't go that way. Well, you know, if you're in the faith, it's no male, female, slave, free, rich or poor. We are one in Christ. You are the bride, the bride-to-be in Christ. But when you stand for Jesus Christ, you will be judged by people. I can't tell you how many times I've been told to my face that I'm going to burn in hell. Christians, they tell me, oh, you're going to burn in hell. You're going to burn in hell. And 95% of the time, it's right after I've told them something about, you know, like, hey, you know, get off the crack. Hey, get off the sex. Get off the drugs. Get off the alcohol. That's how the response is. And I don't say it like, I don't say it like, you know, meanly. A lot of times when I correct another brother or sister in Christ, it's associated with tears. 
Because it's like, you know, I know they're going to be gone. I know they're going to leave. But praise be to the Lord, what happens sometimes, it's like, you know, wow, you know, you look at the Bible and it's like, wow, you know, you're right. If you've ever been corrected in the Lord by a loving brother, a loving sister, like I have, and then all of a sudden you read the Bible and you're like, wow, this guy's right. Wow, this girl's right. Praise be to the Lord. That's a brother or a sister in the Lord. And then you keep on reading your Bible, you keep on growing, you keep matriculating, and you keep maturing in Christ. And then all of a sudden, the Lord's going to call you into ministry. Whatever He has for you, He's going to call you into ministry. But you will be judged by people. You're going to be judged before the Lord, but you're going to be innocent. And you're going to stand before the Lord as innocent. But before men, you will be judged. People will hate you. I shouldn't say you're going to be judged before the Lord. You're going to stand before the Lord. And he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. In accordance with his word. That's what happens when you abide in Christ. But, you know, if you abide in crazy town, you know, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. That's what, that's what happens. That's what I want none of us to hear. I'm in the, same blo- in the same boat. I want none of us to hear those words. What I do want all of us to hear together, since we're in the same boat, is, well done, my good and faithful servant. But I've been told by people. You're going to burn in hell. You're going to hell. That's crino. No man can ever do that. And it's so hardcore. You know, when somebody tells you that. I've been told that when I was a young believer. And I was like, you know, my conscience was like seared. Like, oh my goodness. Is he right? Because I didn't know a lot of the Bible. I said, oh, you're going to hell. I was like, what? I was scared. Like, I was terrified because surely this guy knows what he's talking about. And then all of a sudden, you know, as I grew more in Christ, somebody would tell me, oh, you're going to hell. Clear conscience, clean conscience before the Lord. It's like, okay, that's, he's crazy, you know. Because you have a clean conscience before the Lord. A clear conscience before the Lord. You know in your heart of hearts you're innocent before men. Just like Paul says in Acts 20. Turn to Acts 20 really quick. We just read it a couple weeks ago. But Paul says in Acts chapter 20, Verse 26, he says, therefore, I te- this is in, in the Miletus meeting with the uh, elders of Ephesus. And the elders of the church in Ephesus, he called the Miletus meeting. But he says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent or clean. I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Like, whoa. In his heart of here he is, you know, about to be judged. Here he is, having received judgment from other towns that he's been in. Crino, he's been judged, which is biblically wrong, but nevertheless, it came upon Paul. But in his heart of hearts, in his conscience, he knows, hey, I'm innocent. Why is he innocent? Look at verse 27. For I have not shunned, I have not concealed, I have not cowered in fear, I have not avoided. To declare to you the whole counsel of God. He's obedient. Obedient to his calling by the Lord. And in his obedience, look at what we have before us in these writings. The testimony, the account that we have written by Dr. Luke in the book of Acts. And that's what's so beautiful about obedience to the Lord. It's so powerful what the Lord can do. Look at all. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses in Holy Scripture. And what do you see? Obedience. Vessels of the Lord. Used by Him. 
filled by him and used by him. Going back to Romans 3 verse 4, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. You're going to be judged. People will hate you. Oh, you're, so, you're such a legalist. Oh, you're so stupid. Come on, let's go do some crack. Oh, come on, let's go to the strip, let's go to the strip club. But no, you're making your stand before the Lord. You're going to be judged. That's, that's, that's part of the gig. It's part and parcel of being a Christian and walking, walking with Jesus Christ. But at the same time, our Lord and Savior himself, he says, you know, remember when they hate you? Remember that they hated me first. And don't ever, ever, ever forget that a slave is not greater than his master. They're going to hate you too. Thus fulfilling the word of God. Thus fulfilling this very verse. You're innocent. Just like Brother Paul says. I'm innocent before all men. And what happens then? He gets condemned. Eventually getting his head chopped off. Praise be to the Lord to live is Christ to die is gain. Look at what he says here in verse 5 of Romans 3. He says in verse 5, But if our unrighteousness... I love how Paul includes himself. He's Paul's inclusion, it's like saying he's in the same boat as the church in Romans. You know, I'm not above you guys. You know, hey guys, you know we're all in the same boat. We walk the same walk. In Jesus Christ, we're all Christians. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Question mark. What shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? Question mark. Remember our study in Romans 1? The wrath of God is revealed on individuals. As surely as he lives, the wrath of God is going to be exposed to the world for all to see. It will befall the earth. But also as surely as he lives, God's wrath comes on individuals, workers of iniquity. That's what we studied hardcore in Romans 1. And Paul is asking a question here. Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? Well, I love how, you know, I read from the New King James Version, but I love how in parentheses he says, I speak as a man. I love it so much. Because me personally, sometimes when, you know, I've done it before in sermons. Where I have to say like a little quick repentance where it's like, you know, Lord, forgive me. I mean, no disrespect in saying this. Lord, I don't want to uh, cast any negative light on you, but I want your people to understand. And sometimes you hear me say it like, you know, forgive me, Lord. You know, or sometimes you hear me say like, you know, I, I don't like saying this, but I say it so that you can understand. And that's what Paul is doing here. Hey, I'm speaking as a man. I'm speaking as man because you see, Paul has a certain level of, of discomfort. I wonder how Paul felt when he was writing this. He wants the church in Rome. He's so desperate for the church in Rome to understand this. And he says, is God, I mean, picture him writing with a pen. He, you know, he, he starts writing, is God unjust who inflicts wrath? Ooh. I mean, I'm glad it's Paul who wrote it because it's like, oh, that's hardcore. It's like, Lord, forgive me. I don't mean to. I don't mean to imply, Lord, that there is any form of unjustness with you. I don't mean to imply that, Lord. But I'm so desperate for your people to understand this point. So I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna write it. Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. You see his reverence for the Lord in doing that, in saying that, in writing that. You see his reverence for the Lord. 
What does he say? Certainly not! Exclamation point. You see? Certainly not! Exclamation point. You think of the natural man. You think of the natural woman. Who hears, you know, Paul say, you know, uh, you may be justified in your words and, and, and may overcome when you are judged. So it's like, okay, so it, 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 my unrighteousness, because Paul says that, now my unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God. And Paul's saying, okay, I see what you're saying, but no, you're wrong. You're wrong. Certainly not, exclamation point, he says in verse 6. For then how will God judge the world? Is this coming? God's judgment is coming. I'll give you an example. When, when Paul says here in verse 5, is God unjust who inflicts wrath? That's like saying, you know, when Paul says, uh, if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, that's like, you know, the ends justify the means. You hear people say that all the time. You see people do it all the time. Oh, the ends justify the means. I, I, I saved $5,000 on my taxes. Oh, by the way, I lied on my taxes. I cheated on my taxes. I paid people under the table. I worked under the table. But, you know, I by doing that, I, I was able to get another $5,000. Oh, my uh, 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 tax, uh, tax refund. You know, I was able to get more money. I was able to deduct, deduct more money. I was able to get a higher tax credit. Oh, wow. Praise the Lord. Look, you're blessed of the Lord. The ends justify the means. You mean, you mean the end is justified when the means was wicked? No way. People do that all the time. They say their little white lies. Oh, yeah, just lie about this, you know. Oh, stand on your tippy toes. You want to go to a, an amusement park and ride on a ride and you, you have to be a certain height? And you stand on your tippy toes. You know, stand on your tippy toes, they'll let you in. So you stand on your tippy toes. Wicked. The ends justify the means. Yeah, you had a lot of fun. You got to ride on the ride. You had a lot of fun. But at what cost? At what cost? The Lord was dishonored. You say, well, you're, you're pushing the envelope. That's kind of too far because I do that all the time. Well, you know what I'm telling you? Cut it out. Stop doing it all the time. If you're an adult, if you're a parent, look at what you're teaching your kids. A little white lie is wickedness nonetheless. And you're teaching wickedness to your kids. Oh, that's too hardcore. That is, I, I'm, not, I'm not down with that. Well, there's no other way to live, my friend. I've been always, I've been a non-believer. I've been cold. I've been warm. I've been hot. And then I've been white hot. There's no other way to live. The ends justify the means. Or I'll put it in ministry terms. It's, even parenting is a ministry, but I'll put it in ministry terms like, you know, uh, the, the, the title of ministry. What about a, a, a pastor who, you know, pretends to heal people? He'll tell somebody, you know, behind the scenes, behind the curtain. He'll say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to wheel you, bring you in this wheelchair. I'm going to lay my hand on you. And then you get up and you walk. And here I'll give you, here's a check for 500 bucks. And somebody says, okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. And so the curtains open, the wheelchair is brought out, and you know, you have the pastor with the microphone, you know, so-called pastor, I call it a wolf. Lays his hand on the guy in the wheelchair, and then all of a sudden the guy in the wheelchair hops up, starts dancing around. 
And in the audience, you see people weeping. You see people praising the Lord and their faith. It's like they, they're like, wow, praise the Lord. And it's like, wow, this is so beautiful. But wait a second. The ends do not justify the means. Yeah, you have a congregation that is praising the Lord. But what are they praising? A lie, a fabrication. Strange fire. The ends don't justify the means. And that's the point that Paul is making here. If our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not exclamation point for then. How would God judge the world? This is hardcore. Because, you know, God's judgment upon the world, it's coming. It's coming. You know, it, it blows me away so much because people think that God is okay with, oh yeah, you know, I'll lie on my taxes. I'll get an extra, you know, thousand bucks and I'll, get, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you 10%, Lord. Here, here's a hundred bucks. Like they're giving him a tip. Think of how many people have reduced God into like something smaller than he really is in their own lives. God does not like dishonest scales. Filthy lucre, do dirty money. He doesn't like that. All oh, the ends justify the means. So, you know, uh, whatever capacity that, that, that entails. It could be like a little thing. It could be a huge thing. But nevertheless, it's still something that the Lord wants you to address. It's a little Amalekite in your heart. A little Amalekite. Remember the Amalekite? It's like a type of sin. And the Lord told Saul, kill the Amalekites. All of them. Kill them all. And he let one live. Uh, several, but he let, you know, he had the guy, uh, the, the king Amalekite. Samuel comes in. Who is this guy? You know, so I let this guy live. And Samuel was like, well, you know, the Lord said this. And so Samuel killed him. Samuel killed him. Don't let the Amalekite live in your heart, metaphorically speaking. It's like, oh yeah, you know, Lord, you know, you're good. I love you, all these things. But wow, I really like my sex. I really like my crack, my alcohol, my white lies, my tax cheating. Look, I give you 10%. No, you need to kill the Amalekites. Think of all the Christians that have Amalekites in their hearts, metaphorically speaking. But there's a lot out there. And I don't say that like, you know, like, you know, like, uh, well, I, I guess I do say, it. <laughs> you know, it, it is it is a bad thing. It's not good. Don't do that. But I'm speaking to you. You know, when I say like, look at all this, look at all that you see. That's fine and dandy. I'm speaking to you. You have a choice to make. And so look what happens here in verse seven. For if the truth of God has increased, now you read that, you're like, wow, this is cool. The truth of God is increasing. Paul says, for if the truth of God has increased through my lie, Paul is acknowledging his call. He's giving an example for if the truth of God has increased. Now you read that and you think like, okay, we want the truth of God to increase. We want it to increase. So how do we accomplish that? And Paul's saying, if that is done through my life, I love how he includes himself. Telling the young baby church, a church of lambs in Rome, 
I'm not above you guys. We are all equal in Christ. No male, free, slave, uh, rich, poor, you know, male, female, Jew, Gentile. We're all one in Christ. But as a vessel that the Lord has used to pour into and now he's pouring out of, you have to learn these things. If the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? Number one, Paul is acknowledging his call. He's acknowledging his charge. And he's also acknowledging his responsibility. He cannot teach and lie. Of course, you want the truth of God to increase. You want it to spread. You want it to grow in people's hearts, in people's minds, in their lives. You want the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So does that mean that we should concoct a lie in order to achieve that? Do the ends justify the means? Paul says in verse 6, certainly not, exclamation point. Paul, even when he brings himself into the picture, he says, if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? You see, you think God is okay with the ends justify the means? No way. He likes clean vessels. Clean vessels. You see dirty vessels in the Old Testament? What happens? The Lord kills them. Priests. Kings. Leadership. And the Lord kills them. He takes their lives. You're going to understand hardcore. You know, now that we're going through the law and we're almost done with like a major book of the law, you're going to understand why the Lord does what he does. And, and you know, Lord willing, and I pray this is the case, you understand already. Because God is not mocked. And Paul, as a messenger used of the Lord, he brings himself into the picture. Yeah, the truth of God is increasing, but if it's done through his lie, he says, why am I also still judged a sinner? This is a hardcore message for the OSAS people. OSAS, O-S-A-S, once saved, always saved. If that's you, pay attention. I, I, I don't adhere to once saved, always saved. Why? Because we read the Bible and we see that names can go in the book of life and names can exit the book of life. Just that alone ends the case closed right there. But there's more. If once saved, always saved were true, how could there even be a great apostasy, a prophesied event to happen? And if, if it's not happening already, the great apostasy, people falling away from the faith, people defecting from the faith. If once saved, always saved were true, how could that happen? If once saved, always saved were true, how can elders become wolves? As is written in Acts chapter 20. How can elders, shepherds in the church, become wolves? How can Peter, if once saved, always saved were true, how can Peter write of people who were bought of the Lord, who became enemies of the Lord? And I don't say this to scare you. I don't say this to freak you out. I don't say this to shake you to the core and wonder if you're saved or not. But I do tell you this because so we can, all of us, myself included, we can have reverence for the Lord. 
A lot of people, you know, they rest their hat on once saved, always saved. And they need to be very, very careful. People say, oh, you know, you didn't choose, you know, you didn't choose me. I chose you. That's what Jesus Christ says. It's true. You did not choose me. I chose you. Very true. But don't forget, he said in uh, uh, John 6, you 12 I have chosen. Eklegomai, same word. You 12 I have chosen, and one of you is a devil. That's Judas, who fell by transgression. You see? One of you is a devil. Possessed by Satan. Possessed by the devil himself. And the Lord chose him. The Lord eklegomai. The Lord chose him. People say, oh, you didn't choose me. I choose you. That's what Jesus Christ says. So, you know, I'm good to go. Once saved, always saved. I'm good to go. Well, don't forget, you know, uh, 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 he chose uh, uh, Judas as well. And dwelt of Satan. Oh, but the scriptures had to be fulfilled. Amen. The scriptures had to be, be fulfilled. But then at the same time, what scriptures are fulfilled in your life? What scriptures are fulfilled in your life, my friend? I don't say these things to scare you. But I guess in a sense, I do say these things to rock you a little bit. Because if your foundation is on any other doctrine, which is not sound in accordance with the Holy Word of God, you're on dangerous ground. I call that sand. It's not good ground to be on. Paul says this in verse 8. And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? Question mark. Whoa. That's pretty hardcore. Why not say it? If this is the case, if, if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, yeah, it's okay. Let's go ahead and let's do evil that good may come. You know, let's, let's commit this crime so that people can see how wicked we are. And then all of a sudden, they can see that, you know, God loves us. And then they can believe in Jesus Christ and do the same wickedness. They can follow our example. No, that's wickedness. That's crazy thinking. That's evil thinking. And I love how Paul is writing this letter to a young, 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 beautiful, beautiful church of lambs. Why not say, let us do evil, that good may come? Godly vessels don't do this. Godly vessels don't do this. He says this, as we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say. That's what the, the word was going around. Oh yeah, you know, that's what Paul says, that let us do good, let us do evil, that good may come, as, as we are slanderously reported. You know, let me tell you something. When you stand for Jesus Christ, and you honor Him, and in some cases, you know, as in verse 4 says, that God be true, and every man a liar, and you're standing alone, a lot of times, the slanderous reports, it's part of the gig. Expect them, the slanderous reports. Expect them to come. It's part and parcel of walking with Jesus Christ. It's part and parcel of being hardcore for Jesus Christ. He says, you know, to have such mindset, 
that says, let us do evil that good may, may come, as is slanderously reported and as some affirm. He says this in verse 8, their condemnation is just. Their condemnation, that's krima, K-R-I-M-A. It's uh, the decision of condemnation. And Paul is saying that krima, that condemnation, it's just. Endikos in the Greek. It's, it's just. It is right and it is equitable. What does that say of once saved, always saved? You say, wait a second, Paul's just saying that in general. He's not saying it of Christians. Number one, it's a letter to the church. But then number two, he puts himself in that mix. In verse 7, in this example, if the truth of God has increased through my lie, he says in verse 7 when he's giving this example, why am I also still judged as a sinner? Look, he says straight up, their condemnation is just. In other words, don't do that. Don't do that. That is dishonor before the Lord. But then he says this, what then? Are we better than they? You know, a lot of times Christians have the tendency to get on a high horse. Oh, I'm of the elect and you are not. You know, I am predestined to heaven and you are predestined to hell. But no, we're going to study hardcore about election, predestination in subsequent chapters in the book of Romans. We're going to study that. And we're going to hit it hardcore so that we can all understand the biblical concept of predestination. The biblical concept of election. This is like the little uh, precursory mention of that. A lot of people tend to get, a lot of Christians, they like to get on a high horse. I'm of the elect and you're a predestined to hell. I'm good to go. And Paul says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. No high horse. Get off the horse. Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. You see, that's hardcore. Because what does this do when you realize that all under sin? When you realize that, it evokes a response. What do you mean I'm under sin? What? Yes, under sin. If you're outside of Christ, you're under sin. You're under the law. And that's what Paul is about to hit hardcore. He says this in verse 10, as it is written, he hearkens to the Old Testament books of wisdom. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an empty tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Whoa. You know, me, I've been walking with the Lord for 20-some years, and this is still scary for me. I read this, it's like, whoa, this is scary. We just studied the law, Leviticus 24, in our Wednesday study, and you see what happens when people curse the Lord in the, in the law. But this is the new covenant, and Paul is writing, whoa, you know, in their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Um, in my heart, it kind, of, it kind of scares me. It kind of freaks me out. Like, well, Lord, I don't want my heart to get like that. I don't want my heart to be that way so that the outpouring of my mouth is cursing and bitterness. And what do you see in the house of God? I don't care about the world. 
I care about the world for them to receive Jesus Christ, but to the church for Christians. For Christians. You people say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. I love Jesus Christ. And then you mention uh, Hillary Clinton. You say, oh, I hate that expletive. It's like, whoa. You know, uh, uh, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. And then you mention, you know, whoever. I just said a, a political figure. You mentioned it's like, well, I hate that, you know, expletive this, expletive that. Oh, yeah, I can't stand this. It's like, whoa. What's in your heart, my friend? What's in your heart, my friend? Let the Lord do a work inside of you because He wants to call your heart His temple. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone and the Holy Spirit building brick by brick by brick by brick making something brand new. You know, politically speaking, we're in a political season. I have my strong convictions. Strong, strong, strong political convictions. But keep in mind that this place isn't our home. You know, if we go in one, if the nation goes in one direction or the other direction, never forget that this world is not our home. It's not our home. Our home is Zion. Our home, and not the earthly Zion. Our home is the New Jerusalem. Paradise. That's our home. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's our home. And this world will fade. Don't forget that. And people say, oh, you're not a patriot. You know, I have nothing but red, white, and blue in my heart. But above that is Jesus Christ. Above that is Zion. So look what happens here in verse 14. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And have and the ways and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It's like, whoa, Paul. Please, Paul, enough. We've heard enough. And all Paul is doing is just giving scripture from the Old Testament. That's it. None righteous. None who understands, none who seeks God, all have turned aside, together become unprofitable. No one who does good, not one who does good. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. And look at verse 18. Boom, here's the answer. There is no fear of God. You know, people love the Lord. And it's beautiful to see people love the Lord. But you know what? To me, this is my opinion. What's more beautiful is to see the fear of the Lord. Because that's the beginning of wisdom. That's where wisdom lieth. That's where wisdom lieth. To hearken to my my King James brethren. The fear of God. I read these verses 10 through 18 and it's like a holy knife in my heart. And you know, if you're feeling a holy knife in your heart, you know, you might be thinking, what do I do? What do I do? A lot of people, they feel a holy knife in their heart and they don't like it. So they don't read the Bible. 
They feel a holy knife. They go to church. They listen to a pastor and they feel a holy knife and they don't like it. So they go to another, another pastor who will scratch their ears and tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. I've had people tell me, I want to come to church and feel good about myself. It's like, well, I just saw you on, you know, last Tuesday and you were talking about going to the bar and getting drunk. And then you told me how you went to the strip club. You, you want to feel good about that? How can, how can you feel good about that? How can your conscience feel good about that? Oh, if I go over here, then, you know, I'm going to take my money with me and I'll go over here. It's okay. That's fine. I don't want you to. I want you to stay here. I've been in a church. before. I talk, talk about my pastor in California. I felt like somebody lit a fire under my chair. I, I was like, sweat, like sweat. you think like this, I ran like a marathon. I was sweating, my, everything. I was just like sweat all over, you know, and I, I, I felt like there was a bonfire under my seat. But you know what? There was a bonfire in my heart, ignited by the Holy Spirit. And just trying to burn all my sin. And I had to repent. I had to repent. That's what happens, you know. When you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the only remedy to that is to repent. The only remedy to the conviction of the Holy Spirit is repentance. A beautiful, beautiful, holy knife in your heart. Because the Lord does that to change you, to transform you. I've been walking with the Lord for 20-some years. And to this day, I, st I still feel the knife in my heart from time to time. And when I'm 100 years old, I'm still going to feel the knife. You know, when I don't feel the knife anymore, the holy knife in my heart, when I don't feel that anymore, I'll be dead. And when you don't feel the holy knife anymore, you'll be dead. It's part of our walk. Remember, the showbread has leaven. Don't forget that. The showbread has leaven. And when corruption becomes incorruption, you have to be dead. <laughs> and dead in this glorified, in, in this earth suit, and we put on our glorified body. When showbread becomes uh, uh, unleavened, you'll be glorified. And that's something that we await. Let's look at verse 19. <clears throat> Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. This is so hardcore. This is the law. I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape or form. I find it quite interesting that just this last Wednesday, the Lord has us in Leviticus 24. We just wrapped it up. Leviticus 24. And what happened? All this time we've been studying Leviticus. All this time, Leviticus 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way, 22, 23, 24. And what do we hit? What do we hit? In all the book of Leviticus, we hit the very first death in accordance with the law. You know, aside from the priests, the two sons of Aaron. What do we have? We have a man who blasphemed the Lord. And then it was Moses says this, saith the Lord, stone him. Put your hand on him and stone him. Death. 
The law has an ability. The law has an innate, innate ability to silence. Old Testament law has the ability, ability to silence. And even natural, even the law of man. I mean, have you ever seen, okay, you look at like um, a criminal, a ruffian. You know, and they speak loosely about this. The mouth is full of uh, cursing and bitterness. Feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. They don't fear the Lord. And then all of a sudden they get nabbed by the cops. And they're still a ruffian. They're still saying expletive this, expletive that. And they're in jail. Oh, expletive this, expletive that. There's no peace in their heart. And all of a sudden they get transferred from the jailhouse to the courtroom and they're standing before the judge. The judge hears the case and then the judge renders a verdict. And it's silent. Silent. Because you're having the law, the application of the law. I mean, you have the enforcers of the law, just like your police. But then you have the actual law, like the application of the law, like this is your judgment. Silence. Sometimes stunned silence. That's the law's ability ability to silence. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, in verse 19, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Whoa. I'm not advocating the law. But you read this, it's like, whoa, that's hardcore. And you talk to non-believers, you talk to mockers, and the mockers are going to increase in the last days. And they read this, they see this, they hear it. How can this be a loving God, they say? Is this a loving God? Yes, a loving God. Turn with me really quick to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. Look what is written here. But now he, capital H, speaking of Jesus Christ, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, that's the law, my friend. That's the law. The first covenant is the law. And it was created with fault. It was created with loopholes. Why? He says if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. That's the new covenant. A different law. A different law. And that's what we're talking about here. A different law. In accordance to grace. Let's go back to Romans 3. And in Romans 3, he says this, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. That's hardcore right there, especially considering what we're studying in Leviticus. He's saying, you want to do the works of the law? It, it, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Whoa. You know what the Lord is doing throughout the entire course of time? He's teaching us. He's teaching the people. 
Now, I'm going to say something. I've said this before, and I have to preface this with a statement. I mean, no disrespect. I'm not saying to hurt anybody. But I think of my dog. You know, she, you know she's not with us anymore. But uh, I think of my dog because when she was a puppy, beautiful, beautiful little puppy, I had to train her. You know, and I put her in a crate. I had to do crate training. And I was very, very strict with her. You know, and I had her in the crate, you know, and she started to learn, you know, like, you know, what words mean. This means, you know, no means no, okay means this and that. And, you know, she had, I was very strict with her because I was teaching her my law, you know. I was teaching her my law. And then after a while, you know, I started to, you know, let her out of the cage, let her out of her little crate. And she could run around. And if she has an accident, she had an accident. And then, you know, I put her back in the cage. And then, you know, now she, or not now, but as an adult, when she, she wasn't a puppy anymore, she had no accidents. Zero. We'd have visitors over and they would be amazed. Like, wow, your, your dog is like so obedient. Your dog is, isn't crazy, isn't biting, isn't jumping all over the place. It's like, okay, because I, I trained my dog. I had to. I didn't have to, but, you know, who wants a, a dog that's a ruffian? You don't want that. I mean, you might, but, you know. Kind of reflects on other things, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'll just leave it at that. But you know, but I, the same thing applies with the Lord. Not that we're dogs. Not that Jews are dogs. Not that Gentiles are dogs. And I, oh, that's why I want to preface. I'm not saying to hurt anybody's little feelers, but I'm saying this because you look at how hardcore the law is. It's like, whoa, that's hardcore. Stoning, whoa, that's hard. Yes, it's hard, but it's for a reason. Because as the law is a shadow of the things to come, what is to come? The fulfillment of the law. The law of grace. You know, when my beautiful, beautiful little pup, she was free to roam around. She had no cage anymore. Free to roam around. Why? Because she learned what I like and what I don't like. What I like and what I don't like. She learned it. And the same thing applies to our walk with the Lord. You're not in Christ, you have the law. And the law is hardcore. Hardcore. When you're under the law. It's not good to be under the law. Because you know where the law is? The wages of sin is death. That's in accordance to the law. The wages of sin is death. You know how sometimes you know you, somebody works for, you know, I don't know where you live, but say uh, hourly wage is 10 bucks an hour. 10 bucks an hour, minimum wage. Or, you know, maybe it's $8 an hour, depending on where you live. Even depending on where you live in the globe, maybe it's $3 an hour. You know, but, you know, you, that, that's your wage. You work this and you get paid this. But what about when your work is sin? The wages of sin is death. That's the law. That's hardcore. That's terrifying. To even think, for, for me, I'm in Christ, I'm abiding in Christ, I teach Christ, and for me, that's scary. And I don't want you to be under that. Which is why I say, hey, come to Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ, repent and be born again. So look what happens, you know, he says in verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. 
Very interesting. Very, very interesting. The knowledge of sin, does that ring a bell? Let's turn to Genesis chapter 2 really quick. Genesis way in the beginning. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, this is in Eden, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but, in verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Very interesting. In light of what the law teaches us in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Because the law makes us aware of sin. But understand what Paul wrote to young Pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, that the law is not made for the righteous person. The law is not made for the righteous. Male, female, it doesn't matter. What is righteousness? Abiding in Christ. Remember, abiding in Christ and He in you. Let's continue in verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. These are such hardcore verses and, you know, hardcore concepts to a young church. Remember, the church in Rome, they're lambs. Lambs. And then there was this wild doctrine spreading by former Pharisees who were Christians who says, Oh, if you want to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised. Gentiles get circumcised. And we see what, what happened in, in, in the book of Acts when, you know, it was a big deal to Paul. Paul says, no way, that's the law. That's the law. Then he writes these letters, a letter to the church in Rome. The law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Being witnessed here is as testified. As testified by the law and the prophets. You know what this also reveals? That uh, uh, Paul has ears to hear and eyes to see. He knew that Moses wrote about Jesus. He knew it. The Pharisees didn't. Paul knew it. Paul didn't know it at first. But what happened with Paul? The Lord made himself known. The same way the Lord makes himself known. And the same way the Lord will make himself known. Praise be to the Lord. That's how he works. That's how he works. Righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed or as testified by the law and the prophets. Remember, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. That's why the Pharisees, they had such beef with them, among other things. You know, oh, he's come to do away with the law. We've been doing it like this. Our forefathers are like this. And we've been doing it like this as the law of Moses. He's come to change the law. He's come to do away with what we're told in the prophets. Jesus Christ says, no, that's not the case. I didn't come to, to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He says this in verse 22. Even the righteousness of God. Wait a second. Let's pause here. Verse 22. Even the righteousness of God. So verse 21 says that the righteousness, righteousness of God apart from the law. There's another 
verse, so verse 21 says the righteousness, righteousness of God. Verse 22 also says the righteousness of God. Does that mean there's more? Does that mean there's another? Yes. His only begotten son. His only begotten son. He says this in verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Whoa. To all and on all who believe. To all and on all who believe. That's hardcore to the Calvinist. That's hardcore for the Reformed theory person. Because in, in accordance with Calvinism, in accordance with Reformed theory, God predestines people to heaven and God predestines people to hell for His glory. That's a lie. That's a lie. God predestines people to hell for His glory. It is pleasing to Him. No way. That's a lie. Then they say, oh, oh, Jesus Christ, He died on the cross for everybody, but only in a saving way for the elect. They make up these excuses. They make up these teachings to support a theory rather than supporting Scripture. I know that's a heavy statement to say. But let's see what the Bible says. Through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Very interesting. All. Everybody. He says this. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus so you remember in a, a couple of verses ago, the holy knife that I mentioned in verse 18, the holy knife, you're like, whoa, this is hardcore. This is a what? Verse 13, their throat is an open tomb. What? What if that's you? Like it was me. Their tongues, they practice deceit. What if that's you? Like it was me. Mouth full of cursing and bitterness. What if that's you? Like it was me. You say, what do I do? You're cut to the heart. What do I do? Well, let me tell you something. As is written here in verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The remedy for the holy knife is Jesus Christ. Repentance unto Him. Repentance from sin and unto Jesus Christ. You have to turn. You have to change. To repent, it's not just to say, oh, you know, Lord, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. And I'm going to go out and do it again tomorrow. I'm going to go out and do it again next week. No, repentance is a turning away from whatever it is. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. Turning away from whatever it is. Remember, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Oh, but God has predestined this person to hell. No, he he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's long-suffering. How could he be long-suffering, as is written in the Old Testament and New Testament? How could he be long-suffering for people that he himself is predestining to hell? It doesn't fit. This... These notions based on a theory don't fit the truth of Holy Scripture. 
And I love you. You know, if you're a Calvinist, if you're a reformed theorist, I love you. I'm not telling you this to hurt your feelings. I'm telling you this because we have, you know, whatever it is, it might be Catholicism, Mormonism, whatever, come out of her, my people. We're in the last days. It's not a time to play around. It's a time to be trained. It's a time to be equipped. It's a time to have this knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? So that we can be used of the Lord however He wants to use us. The world is getting darker and darker and darker and darker. And what are you going to say? Oh, God's predestined those people to hell in accordance to whatever guy taught me this. Or are you going to be a wise fisherman saving people, rescuing people as through fire? You see, understanding that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to Jesus Christ. They have a choice to make. The same way you have a choice to make. Look what happens here in verse 24, or in verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith. You see, propitiation here, it's, it's deep. It's very deep. Propitiation, it's... The mercy seat, it translates as the mercy seat. It's, it translates as the atoning victim. You know who the atoning victim is? Jesus Christ. The propitiation, the sacrificial lamb, capital L. The sacrificial lamb. It also translates as the lid of the ark in the temple, of which is the law, the Ten Commandments, the two tablets. But it translates as the mercy seat. Very deep. So what does that tell us so far? When you wrap this with our study in Leviticus, and you see the mercy seat, when it, even in our study in Exodus, when the Lord was giving Moses the blueprints and the purpose of the mercy seat. And let's turn there. It's Exodus 25. Exodus 25, verse 21. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. From between the two cherubim which are in on the ark of the testimony. About everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. You see? It's, whole, it's very holy. That's the law. But in the fulfillment of the law. We have a propitiation for our sins. It's Jesus Christ. Verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation. You know, only the high priest could go into the mercy, where the mercy seat was in the Holy of Holies. Remember, the veil was torn from top to bottom. Jesus Christ died on a cross. He says, to tell us that it is finished. He takes his last breath into your hands. I commit my spirit. Boom, the veil was torn top to bottom. As a propitiation. By his blood. Through faith. By his blood through faith. To demonstrate his righteousness. As is written here in verse 25. Romans 3. To demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance. Or in his tolerance. God had passed over the sins. That were previously committed. Very interesting. See passed over. I mean. I, I want to say, does that ring a bell? But I mean, it's kind of like, you know, Passover. <laughs> Passover. That's why you hear me say, you know, the blood of Jesus Christ over the doorpost of your heart. 
Passover. God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Now, when you read verse 23, all has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Never, ever, 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 ever use verse 23 as an excuse to sin. Never. But rather, when you look at verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you juxtapose that with the end of verse 25, when he says, uh, God, had passed, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Use these two verses as encouragement to abide in Christ. A lot of people don't do that. A lot of people say, oh, I'm under grace, so I'm going to go ahead and do this. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. I'm under grace, so it's good to go. I'll do this and repent. It's okay. No, that's taking advantage of God's grace. And Paul's going to write about that hardcore. And we're going to study that hardcore. Why? It's training. We're on the mats. And we're training. We're learning how to fight. And so look what happens here. To demonstrate at the present time, which is now, I mean, now 2,000 some years ago, but now today. Now today. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You know who that is? Christians, people of the way. He is just and he is also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. It is shut out. By what law? Question mark. Of works? Question mark. No but by the law of faith. See, the law of faith. Chapter 2, Paul was writing about all these laws, you know, the law of circumcision. You know, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. It's like what a, what a jolt to the system that was to realize that, well, Paul is writing this about the law, and now Paul is teaching about a different law, the law of faith. Where is boasting then? We're justified in Christ and justified by Christ through faith. But then at the same time, we read verse 10, 27. He says, by what law of works? Ergon is the word in the Greek. Ergon, works. He says, no, but by the law of faith. Now, if you're a non-believer, if you don't know Jesus Christ, or maybe you are estranged from Christ, you say, I don't have faith. I don't have faith anymore. I used to have faith, but not anymore. Or you know, I've never had faith and I'm not down with that. Or I've never had faith and I feel something. But I don't have faith. Let me tell you something. Don't believe that lie. Don't believe the lie that you don't have faith. Because it is a lie. And it's from the pit of hell. It emanates from Satan. Don't believe that lie. Let me tell you something about the faith that you do have. And if you're a non-believer, you say, what do you mean I have faith? I'm a non-believer. Wait a second. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says, Before he formed you in your mother's womb, he knew you. Psalm 139 verse 13 says he knit you together in your mother's womb. And he also, he put a homing signal on you. He put a homing signal on your heart. 
Because Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says eternity is on your heart. Now, also, Romans 12 verse 3 teaches us that each person has a measure of faith. Also, James chapter 2 verse 22 says faith can be made perfect. Faith can be made complete is how it translates. So you say, I don't have faith. I don't believe. I say you do have faith. Because before God formed you in your mother's womb, He knew you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He put a homing signal on you. He put eternity on your heart. And you do have a measure of faith. And your faith can be made perfect in Christ Jesus. I'm saying this to wake you up, my friend. I'm saying this to wake you up and to tell you, come home. It's time to come home. Put down the crack, put down the sex, put down the whatever. Whatever it is that's keeping you from Jesus Christ. Give it up. Deny it. Acknowledge your sin. Repent. Believe in Jesus Christ and be born again. It's a holy calling. It's a holy, holy call. In Isaiah 66, this is what the Lord says. In Isaiah 66, verse 4, Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear. You see? Don't let that be said of you. Today is the day of salvation. If you're not a believer and you're listening to this and you're like, whoa, you know what? I believe. I want you to hit the pause button and go and listen to a message. You might have to scroll a little bit, but listen to a message about how to be a believer, how to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Listen to that and pray the prayer and then come back and listen and be trained to be equipped. Let's roll on the mat. Let's learn to fight. It's very important in these last days. A lot of times, you know, I talk to people, they say, oh yeah, I don't have faith. Wait a second. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Don't believe that. You were created to have faith. You were created with faith. A little homing device. You were created to know God. And to honor Him. And glorify Him. Why? Because He loves you. He loves you so much that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the law of faith. Let's look at verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. You see, therefore we conclude, he says, that man is rendered innocent by faith. Rendered innocent by faith. Apart from the deeds of the law, apart from the ergon, apart from the works of the law. Remember, we're studying Leviticus on our Wednesday studies. And we're seeing all these things in the law. Very beautiful things too. When you hear the law, not the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. Very, very beautiful. And it blows me away so much. 
Because, you know, Paul is writing here in verse 28 about the works of the law. They're over. The deeds of the law. The ergon of the law. Now, a lot of people, like they say, oh, you know what? We're not saved by works. We're not saved by works. Well, don't forget that faith and works are together. They're inseparable. And I'm not talking about the works of the law. What Paul is talking about here is the works of the law. You know, I have to say something. If you're Calvinist, if you're into Reformed theory, be very, very careful. I don't say that to hurt your little feelers, but be very, very, very careful and come out of that. Come out of her, my people. If you're a Calvinist, if you're Reformed, because a lot of people say in the Calvinist and Reformed, they say, oh, you know, uh, uh, verse 27 says, you know, of works, no, by the law of faith. But don't forget, it's Ergon. And Paul is writing about the law, the works of the law. When I say, we don't have to sacrifice. You want to be right with the Lord? He's like, I don't want your turtle dove. You know, I don't want your sheep. I don't want your ox. You want to be right with the Lord? That's the law. And in the law is the knowledge of sin. In the law is death, which we're going to study hardcore in a couple couple more chapters. And you see verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith, innocent, rendered innocent by faith, apart from the deeds of the law. I don't want your turtle dove. I don't want your sheep. I don't want your lamb. I don't want your ox. You know what the Lord wants? He wants your heart. He wants to call your heart his home and sup with you and have intimacy with you. He himself being the chief cornerstone, the Holy Spirit building brick by brick by brick by brick. You say, I'm not saved by works. I'm not saved by works. But let me tell you something, my friend. Brother James writes to us in chapter 2, verse 22, that faith and works work together. Faith and works can grow by works. Faith grows through works. The two are inseparable. And you know what works is? I don't mean works like, you know, Habitat for, for Humanity kind of stuff. I mean, if the Lord calls you into that, you know, a ministry like that, you know, that's works. Because you know what the Bible explains as works? Obedience. Obedience to the Lord. You know, obedience to the Lord requires intimacy with Him. Requires Intimacy. You hear me speak about intimacy with the Lord, and indeed it is a beautiful thing to have intimacy with your Maker. But in order to be obedient to Him, you have to have a relationship with Him. It's required. How can you be obedient to somebody you have no relationship with? A lot of people get into trouble because they have no intimacy with the Lord. And then they believe what, you know, X, Y, Z says. They believe what this guy says. They believe what this lady says. They believe the book that they read. They believe, you know, New York Times bestseller. You know, they believe whatever. But in order to be obedient to Jesus Christ, you need to be in His Word. And you need intimacy with Him. Oneness with Him. Reading, soaking His Word in like a sponge. Soaking it all in, making the pages white, every jot, every tittle. Why? Because every jot, every tittle of this holy word emanates, jumps off these pages, and goes right into your heart. Make the pages white, my friend. 
Have intimacy with Him. Learn. Grow. Mature. And so look what happens here. In verse 29. Or is He the God of the Jews only? Question mark. Is He not also the God of the Gentiles? Question mark. Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised, that's the Jew, by faith, and the uncircumcised, that's the Gentile, through faith. So both Jew and Gentile are justified by faith. Remember, what, what do we know about faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things unseen. You see? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Remember the, the little homing device that was placed on your heart? By your maker? By your creator? Who knew you? Before you were in your mother's womb, he knew you? Who knits you while you're in your mother's womb? He formed you, putting the bones, little tiny sinews forming you. And he put eternity on your hearts. On your heart, he put eternity. Knowing that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Have you ever talked to somebody about eternity? Talk to a non believer about eternity. And it's like, well, you know what? I, I don't I don't know. You know, I, do I believe this? Do I believe that? No. Believe the Lord. Believe your maker. Believe the one who put the homing device on you. What's the homing device? It's hope. Hope for eternity. Hope for paradise. Today, paradise is lost. But right here, right now, you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you know what happens? Paradise is found. So beautiful what the Lord has done. So immensely beautiful what the Lord has done. And so immensely wicked what Satan does. He does not want people to understand this. He does not want people to believe this. Because he knows he's going to hell. Him and his demons. Hell was designed for them. And he's taking God's people with them. He's taking, he's taking God's creation. He wants, to, he wants to take God's creation. A people created in the image of God. Image and likeness of God. A people who God is long-suffering for. A people who God takes no pleasure in their death. And Satan is going to hell with his demons. And he's grabbing on for dear life. Lying and laughing while he's deceiving people. While people's lives are being destroyed by sex, drugs, rock and roll. Marriages are being destroyed. Wars happen, you know, all kinds of darkness, all kinds of wickedness. It's his work, Satan. Because of deception, he wants people never to believe in Jesus Christ. But it was Jesus Christ. All things in, were made in him, through him, by him, and for him. It's Jesus Christ who put this homing signal on your heart. Wake up, my friend. Wake up. The days are short. The days are dark. It's a holy calling. 
to believe in Jesus Christ. Let today be your day of salvation. He says this in verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? He says, certainly not, exclamation point. On the contrary, we establish the law. <laughs> See? We establish the law, both Jew and Gentile in Christ. We establish the law. You know why? Because the fulfillment of the law is inside of you. Jesus Christ. You are abiding in Him and He is abiding in you. You start to see like, whoa. Whoa, how beautiful this is. How deep this is to understand that Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, wants to call your heart His home. Faith in Christ is how the Christian, the people of the way, the believer, faith in Him is how we walk on the water. Remember Peter? He kept his eyes on Jesus and he walked on water. It was his faith. The very moment he took his eyes off Jesus Christ, what happened? He started to sink. Let that not be said of us in these last days. May we be a people that keep our eyes on the Lord and on Him alone. And may we walk on water for His glory. And we be fishers, wise fishers of men, women, young, old, rescuing people as through fire. Thus fulfilling what Brother Jude writes. We're going to end our study here. And Lord willing, pick up in chapter 4 next week. God bless you guys. Love you guys.